0: Welcome back to the... Gu- oh, wow. It's going to be one of those wow. Welcome back to the Dime Gaming Bros podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Spencer, joined by Jacob. Hello. Uh, we are here to talk about video games and video game adjacent things, like television shows and movies, and uh, why all Smash players are pedophiles. Um, so, jumping that's right... A,
1: that's a new one on me.
0: That's uh, a whole thing. Jumping right into my review for the month, um, mm. I played Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the 2019 reboot slash soft prequel um of the original, you know, Call of Duty for Modern Warfare. Um, this was released in 2019. Uh, it's usually shortened to just be like MW 2019 um for shorthand. It's obviously a Call of Duty game. Uh, it is a reboot, but based on where the story ends up, it's kind of a soft sequel. I mean, a soft prequel to the original game. It's like a... It is it is a flat-out continuity reboot, but it uses a lot of elements in extremely different ways. Um, and I am guessing that the sequel game does as well. So it's kind of like a... It's more like a reimagining, I think, than a strict reboot. Um, so this was... Incredibly popular um, and had longevity for a while. This came out during the worst period of the Call of Duty franchise's history. It was after like five bad games in a row, um, and yeah, just lots of bad stuff, lots of false hope.
1: Was, was it actually five games? Because it was WW2. And me, then... let me pull up the full list,
0: and I can just I can shoot okay. off a tier list in like three let seconds.
1: Me... Let me shoot from the hip. You had uh, Infinite Warfare. You didn't like Advanced Warfare. I didn't mind it, but that was kind of like the peak of, all right. no more Advanced Warfare, and then they did Infinite Warfare, and that was like, everybody was sick of it. Um, So you can kind of give that one a half a point. Uh, So that's two and a half. What else did you have? Vanguard came out after it. Uh, Black Ops 3? No, Black Ops 4. Black Ops 4. So there's three or four for you. What else? What am I missing?
0: So Ghosts was the first game that was like a considerable market down in quality. Black Ops 2 was like Uh, a fan favorite in 2012. I have a soft spot for Ghosts, but that's a lot of nostalgia speaking. Um, It's not abysmal, but it's not good either. Um, So Ghosts, Advanced Warfare, I have a slight soft spot for because it was the first, you know... Jetpack game. It yeah. had something going for it. It still wasn't great. Uh I liked it though. Yeah, it was all right. It's it's fine. Black Ops 3 was bad. Um the gameplay loop was better in and of itself, but it basically just turned into Titanfall. Um and had like the worst story on the planet. Infinite Warfare, I also kind of have a moderate soft spot for. It's also not good, but it's not the worst thing, but that was when people were like peak fed up with Call of Duty and its bullshit. Um World War II was arguably the worst one and it was like the false messiah of like, guys, look, we're going back to World War II. It's boots on the ground. And then they wouldn't shut up about being boots on the ground and the game was like the worst thing monetization wise. It was abysmal. Um, And then Black Ops 4 didn't even have a campaign. It was all multiplayer. Um,
1: so Um, Also, hell. World War II was poorly balanced. It was, it was really like if you bad. Same loadout, you just completely killed everybody and everybody was running around with the same loadout. It was so horrible.
0: It was, yeah, it was rough. Um, Yeah, and Black Ops 4 was not good. And it was like half of a game. Um, And then we get to Modern Warfare. Uh, It was immediately followed up by a mid-game and then a bad game, but that's a a story for another day. Um, So this was like a big deal. And I still think it is a big deal. Um, Like I said a couple, I think, two months ago, at least a few months ago, when I talked about um the original modern warfare that's for me i think still my favorite call of duty um despite it having some pretty large like design flaws it's a miracle that it worked and it was a massive reinvention i mean it literally shifted the entire fps genre um for good reason and it still holds up pretty well campaign and multiplayer wise now um and i think that in a similar fashion uh, modern warfare 2019 also does that but I don't think it stuck as well. Um, it has a similar amount of issues in my eyes, a similar like level of flaws in different areas, but the lessons that it should have should have been learned didn't stick. Um, so just kind of jumping in with my negatives to get it out of the way. Um, the optimization for this game is the fucking worst I've had in a Call of Duty game. Um, getting it installed and working correctly on a console took like two days. It was nuts. I have halfway decent internet, but it still took me forever to download stuff The like usual, the disk is basically just a download key, the disk had like 60 gigs on it, then you have to download like an extra 100 gigs over the Wi Fi, it's all separated into different packages, which makes sense, but you need all of them to play it like it doesn't function if you don't have all of them. So the idea Mm -hmm. of it being modular doesn't work.
1: If you download everything, it legit comes out to like 400 gigabytes. It's horrible. It's
0: it's like half of an Xbox hard drive. It's nuts. Um, I have not heard anything better about the PC version. It's just crazy. Um, To its credit on that front, it does offer insane amounts of customization, um, but it also means it's kind of hard to just jump in, which bothered me a lot. It took me a while to get it going the first time. And for this playthrough, getting it reinstalled and reworking again was really pissing me off. Um the menu system. Uh, this is just a general gaming trend, but I think Call of Duty especially has done it the worst the past few games. Um, the menus are all egregious, not because the user interface itself is bad, but because they're marketing the war zone um kind of third game mode battle royale thing as like the main allure, and you it gives you a, a big fork in the road immediately of you can go into war zone or now war zone two. Um, or you can actually go play the game that you have on the disc. It's really annoying. And then there are entirely different like sub-menus for the campaign, multiplayer, co-op, etc. Um, not in an like it, it it basically feels like a game within a game within a game. Like I have to load up the Call of Duty launcher to play the game. And it really shouldn't feel like that on a console. If it's like that on PC, I'm not gonna scream about it. I'm kind of expecting that it's a PC version, but for a console game, it took me forever to get it functioning. Just downloading all of the packages, and then you have to go into the actual Xbox Store menu, and then you have to download it, and then you have to wait, and then you have to restart the game after like each packet. It, just, it was nuts.
1: I don't remember if it was the last time I had Modern Warfare 19 downloaded, or I'm pretty sure it was. Um, I had like one other game on my PS5, and Call of, uh, Modern Warfare 19 kind of soft locked itself. It was like, you have to update, but in order to do anything, even play the story, but it wouldn't update because it didn't have enough space. And I did have enough space and I would try to update and it would say it didn't have enough space and I couldn't. It was horrible. It was like a terrible, vicious cycle that just led me to uninstall it because I couldn't win.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
1: and it's like I just wanted to play the the, the campaign and like try to hundred percent that and it wouldn't let me because Warzone had an update or something like
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really it's rough. Terrible. I understand like the idea because one uh so Warzone launched slightly after the game actually came out, um, and that was their big tent pole it'll cross across the next few games, that big battle royale thing, which I'm not going to talk about really. I have no issues with it. I just, it's not, I don't even really consider it a part of this game, even though this was like the original download key, quote unquote, whatever. Um, I I understand the idea of wanting, because the game is so big, um, like wanting to break it up in a way that's more manageable. Uh, and it, I, I'm i pretty confident it received a large day one patch, but like put the campaign on the disc and then you download The multiplayer parts. Holy shit, why is that so hard? Like, especially because um, this, I don't know if this is something that's across all platforms, but on Xbox, all of the achievements are exclusively for single player. So, like, the basically, the game is just the campaign, is like, kind of what it's telling you, in a sense. Um, It just, it's very bizarre. I, it, it, it's a major hang-up. Once the game is actually going, though, literally zero issues. It's just, it's it's really bizarre. Um, First, coming from such a big studio and a very like experienced developer from in, Infinity Ward, I don't understand how this happened. Yeah, like there's different language packs you can download for the subtitles or the spoken language. Like there's a lot of optimization options, which I think are very good. And I'm, I'm glad that that's become kind of the new standard, even for console games. I just wish it didn't require you to set up so much of it. Like there was a, a bit better of a, of a preset version of it. Um, so I didn't have to spend like 30 minutes in settings before I felt comfortable loading the game up. Um, so that's my big, biggest complaint across the board. Um, there are other ones, but that's just the big, big one. The big one it knocks like a full point off, easy.
1: Haven't haven't you said before like they didn't compress the files properly, just like any other game, and it. I think that's,
0: that's a totally part of it. I don't remember if I found that out like from a YouTuber three years ago or if or whatever, but that's what I was under the impression was that the they didn't know how to <laughs> they just did yeah, they didn't compress files because there's 30 spoken languages in the game that are available as options and whatever, like they just didn't shove the files into the little box like you're supposed to. Like um a game that's not entirely comparable, but, but like an easy example is Doom Eternal is Nearly on par visuals-wise, not quite, but close. Um, it's also extremely large. It has a very large campaign and a small multiplayer, which is kind of the inverse of this game. That game is like 40 gigs. It was a very big example of like, you can compress your your files down the right way and it not affect anything. Um, I'm not expecting every game to do that, but like, I don't have Warzone installed, the The big part of this game. that's a That's a whole chunk I don't have and the game is still i think like 150 to 200 gigs it's nuts um just very bothersome moving on from that um while i mentioned it the achievements i just want to say flatly are wonderful uh i'm an achievement hunter so it's kind of a big deal for me um i appreciate the fact that they're not they're they're not even can't like level specific you know complete this level you get an achievement every level like most games has a a unique challenge you know Shoot this, these two people with the same bullet, whatever stuff like that. Um, And there's just things for completing the campaign on different difficulties, and um, completing all the spec ops missions. And like that's it. It's the achievement numbers, like the percentage is is very high. There's only like 20 achievements for the whole game.
1: So have you 100 percented it?
0: I'm close. Um, I need to do more spec ops stuff, which is being very bothersome. (laughs) I will get to that. Um, That
1: stuff sucks. Um, The
0: campaign ones, yes, I haven't done it on realism, which you don't have to to get the last achievement, but I want to do it on realism. Um,
1: I was having a problem uh, probably like six months ago. I was trying really, really hard to 100% it and it wouldn't give me the achievement uh, use a Molotov on four bad guys. I checked YouTube and it was like, yeah, do it here. And I don't know if they patched it so that that one thing didn't work, but that trophy just wasn't triggering and i was just checking to see if you get it
0: um i yeah i did that those ones are kind of annoying in that sense because there are some that are they're worded vaguely so it sounds like it's a just it's a you know kill, like stab three people in a row or whatever like something like that that's very simple but it is actually locked to a particular part of the campaign um what my, an easy example is there's an achievement for like killing someone with a direct hit from a smoke grenade which means they have to be in last stand mode. You can do that in the game, but there's only one spot in particular where the achievement will actually trigger.
1: That was another one that I was having a, a heck of a time doing.
0: Yeah. I still I, don't have it. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's not, <sighs> there is a little bit of a delay on it, the, like the achievement catching for me, but that's just because I'm paranoid. So I just sit there, like st- watching the paint dry until it pops. Um, I didn't have any real issues with that otherwise. I (laughs) double-checked. The basic IGN guide is fine. This game just doesn't have a lot of those sorts of things, and I actually like that. Um, It didn't make me go crazy. It allowed me to actually play the game and not obsess over achievement hunting. They just kind of... It's like one or two things per level. Just keep this thing in mind to do it, and then keep going along as you were. You don't have to spend the entire mission doing this one thing in particular, except except the cinder block thing.
1: One of my favorite achievements from this list was the level where you fall down the pit and you are trying to escape from the cave. You have to escape only using the 45 that you fell with. Yes. And it's such a fun challenge. And I'm sure you'll get to it later, but the 45 sounds so distinct in the cave. It's it's so, so cool.
0: Yeah, um, I, I I agree. Those sorts of things are nice. It's It's a little... I don't feel like I'm spoiling myself by double checking the achievement guide just to see where like what the thing is and what I need to do. Um I played this uh, round launch ish and I haven't touched it since. I just got very distracted. Um so I was just going through to redo stuff basically. Um yeah. While I'm here just to get it out of the way. I played uh this playthrough on hard or vet- veteran. Um so that's the third out of four difficulty levels um the next one up is realism which is th- uh, new for this game it's just it, it's the same as veteran it just removes like the hud elements um which is great it's like playing with like what is it the blind skull in halo or whatever it's just a it's a unique challenge and that kind of la- lends into the aesthetic of this game for a call of duty game it leans into a more tactical vaguely realistic aspect
1: um good luck clearing the house on that (laughs) you know
0: we'll see we'll see um so my playthrough this time around to again go through all of the achievements i think i missed one or two that i just kind of fucked up on um i took i'd say about eight hours just to be extra thorough on veteran um the difficulty is simultaneously very well balanced and also kind of easy. It's very hard to describe, but the 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 difference between the difficulty levels doesn't feel very distinct. Um, the game kind of just plays the way it does. It's very it's it's a couple of key areas like your da- the, your health basically and like the amount of damage enemies do. Other than that there are no major changes in like AI intelligence or detection, or whatever, which I actually think is a better way to go about it. Uh, go about it because this campaign isn't really designed to be. It's not really designed to be challenging. It's more designed to be like perplexing. I think is a better way to put it. It's not supposed to be stupid hard. It's supposed to be vaguely thought provoking and like a little bit more contemplative. It's still a Call of Duty game, but it leans into more of a a tactical Rainbow Six ass. Aesthetic and gameplay style Um, and it it works across the board for me Um, But yeah, the campaign is stupid short Um, Even for a Call of Duty campaign, they are usually 10 to 15 hours Uh, This thing you apparently can do it in like four on recruit if you just go for it, which I find very believable I don't eh, I think that's kind of lame, but I would rather it be short um, and paced well, which I think it is and and can somewhat consistent in quality rather than padded out. I'm okay paying full price for like, you know, a, a ten hour experience than I am sixty for like double that. I don't know. It, it's a me thing. I understand that some people felt like it wasn't the value wasn't high enough because of the, the play time, which I definitely understand. Um, it just doesn't bother me that much. I'm kind of used to it. Um, so yeah, the game, like I said, is a soft reboot prequel thing to the original. So you follow a, a, a small cast of characters, including the man, the myth, the legend, uh, John Price, Mustache Man himself. Um, is that even a mustache? I don't know. I'm not sure how to describe that facial hair. Um,
1: it is. It, it's not his mustache. It's it's it. Whew, it is not his mustache. It is his sexuality.
0: True. It's it's something. Um there is God, man. Um so yeah, it is a you follow uh um Price, uh Farah for the Ferret and Um Hadir, who are uh freedom fighters in the fictional country of Erzikstan, which is a generic Middle Eastern country that borders on Russia. I don't need to elaborate much on that. You've also follow follow Alex Keller and um, Kyle Garrick. Some of those names should be familiar from the previous version of this universe. Um, so Price is like the he's the man, you know, he's the guy on the box. Um, he's Bresh from from SAS. Uh Alex is from the CIA, I believe. And Kyle, uh, who will later be known as Gaz in in later games. Uh, so that's a whole thing. Uh, is also British. I believe he's from the British Special Forces. Um, and, uh, Farah and Hadir are, like I said, they're, they're, um, basically rebels. Uh, you follow, it's, it's a, it's a fairly small cast of characters, despite it being a, a multiple country spanning game. Um, and you basically, the Russian, <laughs> Russians are doing bad things and invading countries they're not supposed to. This game hasn't gotten more timely at all, um, and there are simul- there's multiple factions within the country of Erzikstan there are uh the general like rebel insurgent group uh you know the freedom fighters basically and you also have what they call a terrorist group which is moderately inaccurate but whatever uh which is you know the very radical version of the same thing where they don't care about you know um civilian deaths and whatnot it's it's a bit of a generic setup admittedly despite this game wanting to have a lot more nuance than most call of duty games the 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 military propaganda still comes in strong on this one um it's just not quite as bad as usual um so the someone steals a bunch of gas to try to kill the russians it's a big mystery which faction has what and it's just a bunch of stuff basically all focused around like Effectively mustard gas. Um, There's a a dictator who leads the Russian military, whatever. Um, The villains are fine. Um, This is, my, I think, my second major complaint. It's not the end of the world because, again, for a Call of Duty game, they're fairly serviceable. They at least vaguely... Like, the factions make sense. Um, I just personally do not like how they're represented because this is a uh, this is maybe news for our listeners um I am I don't like imperialism actually from anybody um and that includes the CIA um so this game is very politically muddy in in a sense and it's not really doing it on purpose it's mostly because every video game movie etc that portrays the. US military and other military factions um they get they get funding um to do it You know, uh, whether it's directly or indirectly, that's just kind of part of the deal. Uh, If you want to, say, make a movie where you show US tanks, if you want to physically get a tank to show, you need to make sure you're not portraying things too critically. Um, It's a part of US hegemony. Don't even get me started. That's just a general thing. So this game kind of gets a little muddy on that front uh, because it simultaneously, like basically any game about war, it wants you to think that the freedom fighters in the country that the U S and other Western powers are quote unquote assisting with bringing democracy. Basically. Um, you want to think that there are two groups of, of fighters, fighters in that country. You have the freedom loving democracy, loving, you know, we don't want to kill civilians. We won't use bombs type people. And then you have, what people love calling anarchists in media that aren't actually anarchists, they're just the chaos people, you know? And it's, everything does this. It just very bothers me because I'm really into this sort of stuff. Um, It's fine here. It's just a thing I have to mention because the game tries to take itself so seriously. Um, There is one particular thing that I I have to say is actually quite egregious. Um, It's not killing civilians. It's not bombs. It's not gas. It's the fact that the uh fucking game tries to paint over this is a pretty well-known thing. Uh it tries to paint over the highway of death. Um, and basically push th- basically during a war, the US did a lot of war crimes, um, and nothing really happened about it. And it's a real place. Uh it, it's a it's a it's near a river in Kuwait. And um they base the game basically just says that was actually the Russians, Lamao. Um, and it's really bad. Like that's that's a gr- that's genuinely very despicable. Um, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a choice by like the story writers, but what the fuck?
1: That's what I was about to say. Is that I haven't done all my research, so I could just be naive, I guess. But I've always seen the conflicting tones in this game and just written it off as the writers wanted to tell a story very opposite of what their funders wanted to hear i agree i
0: that's usually when i i trust to some extent like a writing team and something like this happens i usually assume it wasn't You know, there's a level of... It's effectively coercion. Um, I understand that's going to be part of the medium. It just bothers me because sometimes it's done really egregiously. Like, most of this game, it's messy, and I think it's not accurate to how real-world politics works, but it's not that bad. It's it's at an acceptable level of bullshit. But then something like that... On the
1: flip side, it's got people like me, you know, listening to YouTubers or whatever bringing this up and it makes me do my research and learn what a highway of death is and it's like oh actually (laughs) it's not how the game portrays it so it's weird uh, that that's kind of why i i don't rant and rave against the game because it seems like someone really wanted to include that and they were told okay but just flip who was the bad guy and they said okay
0: yeah, no, for sure. It's just, it's a, it's an easy specific example in this game that I think is, that's not that is explicitly how you should not do it. Um, I like the fact that this game particularly, it specifically and like kind of uniformly wants to use real world conflicts, particularly in Syria, um, as it's setting like there are real, there are the factions are kind of reimagined and Call of Dutyified, um, but like There's clearly real world inspiration. And I think most of it's done fairly tactfully. It's like, well, there were like entire entire factions of of the the local population that were just like squadrons of women in prisons. And like whatever, like I I think that stuff is actually done pretty well here. But and and uh, it's also inspired by a bunch of bombings that happened in London, which happened in this game. But then that stuff I think is fine but like something so explicit as that where it just it literally paints over what actually happened and it's like that's that's my line um i think that's just sloppy if if nothing else if you're going to make your your damn us propaganda make it sneaky okay jeez have standards um okay so general other story bits um i actually like all of these characters arguably more than i like the versions that are the the versions of some of these characters that are present in the original. Um, I like that the cast is small. And I like that this... At the end of the game, they basically do the whole ah, the war is just beginning thing. And I, it's corny, but I actually think it works kind of well with this game because this is primarily between... It's a proxy war. Um, they explicitly say it a bajillion times. It's like, okay, you guys can go in, but don't kill Russians with U.S. weapons, you know? because then they'll find us. Like it's very it, it it despite including bombings and planes and tanks, it's kind of low key for a Call of Duty campaign. Um it's a lot more stealth oriented than usual. So I think that's a good entry point to a new sub series basically. Uh I have a massive crush on uh on, on Farah. Uh don't ask questions, just accept it. Um hot. Uh <laughs> I I uh, I really like this version of Gaz. Um, he's only given the nickname Gaz at the end of the game as a joke, but like the I I I guess your POV character. Obviously, it flips between all of them, but like the most uh, naive, headstrong character with the least personality is you know your self-insert character, and that's Gaz or Kyle Garrett. I I quite like him here. Um, he's British, which is funny because British people are funny. Um, I I really. I really like what they did with the characters here. I have, this is, I guess, a remotely hot take. I actually like this price more than the original. I think the original voice actor is more iconic, easy. Like, I hear that name, I hear that voice in my sleep. But I think this kid, this version of the character is actually given some remote level of nuance. Um, He's more than a caricature of, like, wow, look, mustache man, you know? Um, And I think that's important for this.
1: I hear that voice in my sleep, and that's why I have Morningwood. (laughs)
0: <laughs> true true the way he the way he smiles at the camera Oof, Ooh. um i really like the cast of characters there could definitely be some shoring up of some stuff here and there um i like i it's not really a spoiler because it's a few years old but uh, alex temporarily defects from the cia to help the freedom fighters because the freedom fighters like the u.s does are like Lemao. you guys were now labeled as terrorists because we don't like you um and I like, I like that. I just wish the game was more focused on that. And I know that it's never going to be, but I want a game actually about that. I like... An easy way to describe this game, story-wise in general, is it's, it's anti-war, but it's not anti-imperialism. It does the wow, look, war is messy, and especially modern warfare, you know, using drones and bombs and cities and crap, is messy and it should be disturbing. And it, it it plays that fairly well, especially for a COD game, but it still has just enough gung-ho, let's go kill this Russian, where it's like, ah, I don't know about that. And that's coming from... I have no issues with portraying the Russian military as being evil orcs because they are. Like Current state of affairs, this is not a hot take at all. They literally... Like across the the still current invasion of Ukraine, they just go across pillaging villages and like raping school children. It's fucking abhorrent. Uh, I have no issues calling them orcs. Uh so I'm fine with it being a caricature of Russians here. Just don't make it about Russians like a people, make it about the Russian military, and that's fine. Cause they are dogs. But also, why is the CIA like sketchy, but not like sketchy sketchy? You know? The game, the whole time you're getting like informants and you're like, ooh, this stuff is weird and i don't know if this is actually legal or okay and everything we do is illegal ooh but then they don't do anything about it they're just like oh i guess this is what it is and that's that's the thing that i'm always going to have a criticism of of any type of war media in in like being critical of the united states and it's never going to not be like that but i'm always going to be bothered by it there's a little tease at the end which i thought was kind of cute uh they just they're like oh i want to put together a team and then it's 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 you know one for one from the original game whereas that's kind of how this is sort of a prequel yeah there's a little bit at the end that's very much so sequel bait but i'm okay with it because it's a big dumb action movie game and that's fine um so no real qualms there there's also like a post post credit scene after you watch all the credits which is a tease of the villain for the next game, I guess, maybe not, who's the villain of the original first game. And it's like, alright, I see where you're going with this. I'm fine with that. Um, I I don't mind all of that sort of stuff. I really feel like they didn't overplay the nostalgia angle that much. They actually recontextualized the characters enough. There are some characters that are pretty much entirely different, like... Um. I'm hearing a lot of that in the sequel game as well. Like Price is very similar. He's just given nuance. Gaz is pretty fucking different. Alex is an original character. I'm pretty confident. Uh, like there's enough flipping stuff around that. I think it definitely it, it it doesn't just overplay the oh, you remember this, don't you type stuff? Um, yeah, so the campaign is very solid across the board story wise. Um, the performances are all really good. Um, the motion capture work is spectacular. Um, on a technical level, the cutscenes are in engine, and the difference between pre-rendered and like rendered in real time and the actual gameplay is minute. It's it's insane how good this thing looks. Um, the big difference is that like pre-rendered cutscenes have like you know the bars on the top of the fucking screen, like it it. The, the screen turns off and then turns back on for a minute. So the transitions aren't smooth, but the the character models are identical. The frame rate for me stayed the same. Apparently, this was not what it was like at launch at all. Um, I had no slot like sloughing, I had no lagging of cutscenes. Everything was a buttery, smooth 4K60 across the board. Looked disgustingly good. Um the yeah, just the the facial captures are fantastic. The voice synchronizing with the lip movements was really good. I don't know what parts were motion capture and what parts were just 3D renders, but like, holy shit, this thing... I still think is the best looking Call of Duty game. Um, Not just because of its aesthetics, but because of like the technical quality on display here is bonkers. General presentation of the campaign um, is very good. I like how quick the pace is, um, despite, again, it being very short. I like how little time there is between game, cutscene, game, cutscene. It's it's pretty snappy. All of the levels are drastically different lengths, which is very annoying. Um, but it plays pretty well. The menu itself, the UI for the campaign, is fine. It's nothing special, but it's not egregious like the rest of the game. Um, the I like that you can go back and revisit just the cinematics because they really want to flex how pretty this game is. Uh, so that was cool. Um, Load times were snappy. Um, after, you know, I, I also use quick resume for most of this because I'm playing it on the Series X. So I barely had to worry about load times like, at all. It's like a minute sometimes between like, like going in and out of a level, so no big deal. Um, no crashes, no stuttering, very little pop-in. Genuinely blown away by how good this thing looks. Additional presentation notes, uh Sarah Schockner did the Original score slash soundtrack for this game, and it fucking slaps hard. Um, there's some nice reworkings of older modern warfare themes, but it's it's for the most part very original stuff. Um, I really like it. I think it's it's hummable, and that's you know that's the barometer for good themes. Is like, can I remember it, and can I hum it? Um, so great stuff. All very straightforward. Um, The missions um, on on the menu when you you exit out of a, a campaign mission, the there are rating systems given sort of for each mission depending upon um, your general behavior, I guess, because it is modern warfare and a lot of these missions take place in civilian environments or you know domestic places. Um, the game sort of wants you to not commit war crimes, um, so when you don't shoot civilians uh accidentally or intentionally um you actually you wait until people are actively hostile towards you before shooting etc etc um the game rewards you with a couple of collectibles um they're just like multiplayer skins which is fine uh the grade system is really bland um i would have preferred if it was like an xp based system for I, I don't know something towards multiplayer, other than like a couple of skins, but whatever, it's something. Um, I like that it's that is an, an element of the gameplay is encouraging you to not commit war crimes, although you still commit a lot of them in this game, anyways. Um, I I wish there was more to it than that. I I like what they did. Um, it just it feels very half-assed. It's like half of the missions you can kill civilians and most of those it doesn't really matter other than affecting your score like it doesn't keep you from completing the mission it doesn't there's a couple missions where it'll be it'll just kill you and you know it does the whole what the fuck are you doing stop and then you know the mission ends but for the most part it just it there's some optional dialogue bits here and there where one of your your squad mates will be like dude what the fuck you know um I just, I don't think it's enough, (laughs) especially considering this game has multiple levels where you literally point guns at hostages. Um, I really think they should have been a bit more thorough with that, but, again, Call of Duty expectations. I don't want everything to just come back to, like, I have low expectations because big dumb game, but, like, you can only expect so much from a property like this, um, and, you know, that's fine, I guess. Um... Campaign gameplay is mostly linear, like a usual Call of Duty game. Um, There are, I'd say maybe 25% of the missions have at least non-linear sections, Um, not just you have three paths to move forward, but you can actually tackle some of your objectives in a non-linear fashion. Um, And when it comes to this type of an experience, I'm okay with this mostly being really linear because it's, it's extremely curated. The quality of the combat encounters and... The how everything comes together to make moments works really well, and it seems dynamic enough that I'm okay with it not, you know, letting me tackle literally everything however I want to. There's a balance to be had. Um, when it, the game does open up, particularly my favorite level, Going Dark, the second to last level of the game, there are, you're, you're basically dropped into a big compound, and you have to, you have Couple of objectives, you need to search multiple buildings for hostages and find some stuff and whatever. And the game kind of adapts to how you play a little. Um, so you can shoot out lights, you can turn off the power, you can turn off generators, you can shoot the armored car. Um, there's a bajillion different ways that you can go about this stealth level.
1: It kind of feels like the Metal Gear Solid 5 prequel level thing, Ground Zero or whatever that A little was. bit, yeah. Like- it, it's the Call of Duty version, and it's smaller, but it feels that like that's the best comparison.
0: Yeah, it's it's enough that it makes me happy. Whereas, yeah, pretty much every player is either going to slowly creep throughout everything, kill every single enemy combatant before going into the, the necessary areas, or they're just going to blitz it. I still like being given the option between the two, and I had a lot of fun being slow and stealthy about it. Like, one, trying to kill all the enemies to get an achievement, and two, just not being detected. It's fun. I spent probably an hour in this level with night vision goggles on the whole time. It was really fun. Um, that includes a little meter that tells you like how exposed you are in terms of light levels, which I think is nice. It only comes in handy, I think, basically just for this level. It's on screen in other levels, but it doesn't really do much for those. Um, but I think that's a nice little touch. Again, being able to shoot out the lights, um, having Price be your your eyes in the sky or on a hillside with a sniper rifle, um, occasionally calling out targets, um, shooting out some lights for you, it, it, it made for a really fun level. Um, the stealth actually works, which is the unexpected part, because they're like... I used to be a big Assassin's Creed guy. Uh, the stealth in those stealth games, even in the better ones, barely works. Um, and here in a Call of Duty game, unexpectedly, it it works really well. Um, but it doesn't feel like it's trying, just trying to do like all gillied up all over again. Um, there's been a certain... I do not remember what video I watched, but somebody made this comparison. I think it's pretty apt for this game. Most Call of Duty games want to do they want to have an all gillied up moment for every game since all gillied up the mission none of them do it well again um this game doesn't really do that despite it coming closer i think accidentally it aims more so for a mile high club all the time which was the mission where you're on the plane and you have like 30 seconds to kill everyone it, it, it's it's weird but it it feels more of a of an apt comparison for this game. You're you're when the ta- the encounters are actually tactical, which is about 50% of the time. Um you need to be quick and snappy despite the fact that you are slowly crouch crawling through a house, you know? Um and I really like that vibe to it. Um the additional um, abilities are Features that have been added for this game includes mounting, which is basically just leaning against something and then aiming your gun over it. Um, it works fine; it's useful sometimes. Um, I do forget it's there for the most part. Uh, sliding has been reworked a little bit. I think it works much better here. Um, and in general, I'm pretty confident the movement speed has just been slowed down like drastically, at least for some levels. Like if it's a stealth level it caps out your max speed at, like, 70% of normal. So you you can't, like, break immersion, which I have mixed feelings about.
1: That's why I love the multiplayer in Modern Warfare 19 so much is because movement speed is so slow. It it feels really good.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I have some mixed feelings on, like, forcing you to do that during some stealth sections, whereas the game... Wants you to have options, but it also wants to hold your hand, you know it, it, Whatever, Um, I just it was something I noticed right off the bat like the first mission you're like you're standing all the way upright and you're walking like Two miles an hour. It was just like, oh wow, this is this is gonna take a minute Um Most of the levels don't do that. It's just every once in a while that'll pop up Um The gunplay Oh my god this is disgusting. Um, the gunplay is responsive. It's not snappy, I would say. It's not sluggish either. Uh, they're, they wanted to lean into the, the tactical angle of this fairly well, very strongly, and I think they did it fairly well um, during campaign sections. Everything is responsive, but it's not... You can't just be, like, snap shooting everybody, regardless of whatever weapons you have. Hip firing is almost entirely unusable for most weapons, except like shotguns. Um, but ADS isn't half—you know—just a tiny little fraction of a second. It actually takes a second to lower the gun, um, and I think it encourages the slower movement speed, which maybe is just a genuine a genuine strategy to like make the campaign length more reasonable. <laughs> they might have just been like, "Oh crap, we should slow you down," but I think it works pretty well. It encourages you to at least somewhat think through your encounters a little bit. You can still run and gun if you want to for most of it, but if you want to do something different, it doesn't punish you for that. Whereas Call of Duty in most campaigns punishes you for not running and gunning. Um, I don't feel shitty using cover in this game, whereas normally it's boring and drab if, like say, you're playing on Veteran in a bad level where you just have to play like it's a shooting gallery sitting behind a box... This game actually makes that gameplay fun, and it feels intentional, even if it probably isn't all the time. Um, The guns uh, like across the board are very diverse. There's a lot of uh, real guns. There's some fictional ones as well. The models, like the scans, are disgustingly good. The 3D representations in-game are so gorgeous. It's nuts. Um, There's a lot of variants of each weapon with different sights and silencers or... Uh, just different attachments, which is really cool. Um, the sound effects are easily at their best here. The The way that they, they did pretty much real recordings for every single one of these weapons or its real-world equivalent, uh, the multi-directional audio especially really comes in handy. You don't always notice, especially if you're running and gunning, where gunshots are coming from, but if you want to listen, you can pick out people from very far away, and I really like that. Um, I like... The fact that I wear headphones actually coming in handy. Crazy, I know, right? Um, The guns are just hot. There's this... When 343 took over Halo, they reworked a lot of stuff, and a lot of people didn't like it, and I understand pretty much all of it. And a lot of the weapon sounds that they did are not good because they don't sound like the guns used to, but the quality of the recordings were this massive step up in terms of like fidelity, and that's what this seems like. The guns sound, one, real, because they're mostly real recordings, and the fidelity is huge. It's not... There, I, I could not... Every single gun actually sounds distinct for once. It's not like there's 10 gun sounds. There's like 50. I could probably pick out which weapons enemies are using if I really wanted to based off of sound. I'd have to think, but like, I feel like I could do that. And that says a lot about the detail that they put into it. I think the campaign uh, has a decent mix level-wise, or missions, uh, in terms of gameplay styles. You have a few very linear, close-corridor sections, you have a few um, kind of open levels, and you have a lot of cinematics. Um, it I, There is no real lacking level from where I'm sitting. There are two la- uh, flashback levels you play as, as uh, Farah when she was, I believe, 10 and 15 um they're the weaker ones but they're not bad by any means uh they they the the ham the the draw the melodrama gets a little slapped on here um say when you're playing as like maybe 10 years old maybe i i think it's less than that you you have to play this really awkward stealth section jumping or like crawling around your your house trying to kill a russian soldier with like screwdrivers I like it, and I get the idea, but it does play out very weird, um, considering, again, war crimes are being committed in the background, and your parents just died, it's it's really weird. Like, the dissonance between the gameplay and the presentation is weird, um, but it was fine. Uh, and then the section that you play as, I, I think about 15 or 20... Um, where you, you get out of prison and you liberate a bunch of prisoners and stuff, and you meet Price for the first time, was a really good level. Um, I think their placement in the campaign was kind of awkward to have... It's like, out of the 14 missions, I think it's like 11 and 13 or something. like It's like 10 and 12 or whatever. It's really awkward placement, um, but it's kind of nitpicky. Um, that's honestly about it, campaign-wise. I think it has some serious flaws in the writing department, and like gen- like the the disparity between who wants to tell what story is very messy. But I think it's okay for a Call of Duty title. It's within the acceptable margins. I really like the characters. I like the presentation. Um, I prefer this angle to the, the the game in in general. I I like the shift to be ten percent more serious. Um, multiplayer is a mixed bag. <laughs> Um, the maps are not good., uh, they're not good at all. Um, so before launch, the past, like, again, like five titles had had really bad maps, just the three lane, all the same maps. Some of them were really big and some of them were really small, but they were always pretty much three lane maps. Um I believe this game launched with about 10 maps, and I think it's been given, I think four for like regular multiplayer rounds um, since launch. So the the ones that have been released post launch are definitely better. Um, They're not abysmal, but it is disappointing. Um, They some of them rely on gimmicks a little bit too much. They're they're too asymmetrical, where it's like painfully awkward. Where you know, whereas the three lane maps are generic, and they make everyone just run at each other, like. There's a couple of maps where they're so asymmetrical in their geography or the, you know, unique map quirks, you know, push this button, a door closes shit, where, like, even if you had equal teams, I really don't feel like you could have an equal match. They just, they really prefer one spawn side to another. Um, And the spawns themselves are still very bad. Um, That's never been fixed since launch. You spawn way too close to enemies, and the spawning... In process takes too long. The respawn timer is too long, and the time to kill, while fine for gameplay, when you're just loading in and your character hasn't even pulled the gun off their back yet, is bullshit. Um, and it can be incredibly frustrating. Um, the gun The gunplay carries over mostly the same. There are definitely technical details like uh, damage it- damage um, numbers that are different. I just I'm not smart enough to know the difference. Um, I'm not that much of a Call of Duty player. I don't know the difference. I just know that the balancing is definitely different than it is in campaign. Um, Some of the maps are fine. It's just, it's such a weird grab bag of quality that's kind of disappointing. It's a different problem than it was previously, but it's not fixing the problem um, from what I'm saying. I
1: especially hate the map that is in the desert with the oil pipes and the boxes everywhere. That's the worst one, I think. I
0: agree. Um, um, is it Rust? No. Dust? I don't remember. Something like that. Rust is a classic MW2 map. Um, it's just, it's a, it's very weird. Um, where is it? I appreciate that the map count is within an acceptable range for me. Obviously, more maps is usually better, but it's enough that it doesn't feel like I was getting undersold. There's a couple of unique maps that are unique to a couple of game modes. Um, so underneath your main like multiplayer just game modes, you have your normal stuff, Team Deathmatch, CTF, etc. Um, there are... Bu- 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 bu, Uh, Gunfight, which I really liked. Uh, It's a 2v2 um, mode with small maps. I really like that. That's like classic weird Call of Duty bullshit where you spawn with random weapons and perks each round and you just go ham. Um, I like that. It's not going to sustain a multiplayer, but it's definitely fun to load in. Um, And people still play it, even though it's been a few years, which I I appreciate. Um, There's also Ground War, which I fucking hate. Um, it's their big, big mode. It's like twenty v twenty bullshit. Um, I'm impressed that the engine can handle twenty, like a total forty player count, but it's miserable. Um, Call of Duty isn't Battlefield, and it's not built for this. It just doesn't play well. It's it's everyone. Call of Duty players are socialized not to play like Battlefield players. You can't change that. You can improve it, but you can't just make all the players. Play for objectives on really big maps it just doesn't work the, even though the gunplay um does actually include projectile weapons for once unlike most cod games where everything's hit scan you know you actually have to lead shots sometimes it's still the time to kill is still too short and it's still not telegraphed enough whereas the big ma- the big modes are miserable for me um on a technical level they're still pretty impressive i will give it that but it's not fun. There's also unique maps for that because they're big. Um, I, I believe each each of the multiplayer seasons uh, released at least one or two ground war maps, which again, I appreciate the effort. I just really don't like the game mode. it's it's just not fun. Um, the game also returned uh kill streaks so instead of it being it was i think about 5 games again where it was it was a uh, score streaks you have to it it was trying to encourage people to play objective but it didn't work um you have to get certain cumulative scores to get new perks um they did both in this game and i think it works much better uh you re- you do return to kill streaks although you can use chlorine gas as a kill streak and that does feel like it's in poor taste i will admit at least the nuke button is so over-the-top it's silly when it's using, like... Oh, uh-huh, you could just use mustard gas. That that feels kind of weird, but that's just a me thing. Um, the pick 10 and pick 20 system is long gone. Thank God. Those systems were mostly bullshit. Uh, the, the, the gunsmith uh, created class thing is so much better here. Um, I'm not wicked into multiplayer. I think I've put in... 30 hours into this gaming total it was probably like 20 when i got the game and i somewhere around 10 recently just to get re-familiarized with it um you could spend a lot of time in this and i i, I like that it's it's very in-depth the different attachments and combinations you have for different guns is fantastic levels of of variance but also i don't want to spend 10 hours customizing my gun i want to play the fucking game
1: some of the best fun I've had in this multiplayer was the the game type. It's kind of like Counter-Strike, where you have two or three different bomb sites and you have to p- plant the bomb. Yeah, uh, That was surprisingly fun in this game, and I don't exactly know what makes that different from all the other games that do it.
0: <laughs> I have no idea. That's that's where my, uh, my uh, smart-assery about random shit does not come in handy. I'm not technically versed enough to understand how they make things enjoyable beyond the basics. <laughs>
1: um,
0: yeah. Uh, so yeah, the the big thing for the multiplayer which made it in- more enjoyable for me, or more tolerable, um, despite the fairly large failings, like the maps being kind of mid, um, and the some of the modes being kind of unbearable, um, is the fact that it actually had a pretty solid battle pass system. Um, this was a return sort of a return to form. Call of Duty had gotten into some deep shit for a few years because they had so many really egregious loot boxes for like, I think it was three entries in a row., um, Modern Warfare 2 being the worst version of that, like by a long shot, um, they would do loot boxes, in-game currency, purchasable guns, and pay to win, like all at the same time. It was insane. Um, so this game, they promised well ahead of launch that uh, none of the purchasable items in game would affect gameplay drastically, which is true. Uh, none of the guns are locked behind a paywall, uh, including the ones that were added post-launch. They are all uh, earned via gameplay, and uh, the in-game store is just for cosmetics. While the cosmetics are like all gross, icky, you know, Christmas weed skins. You know that's where the that's where we are now is. Purchaseable cosmetics, fuck it, whatever. You know, it's that's that's the that's the the bar for in-game stores right now because they're so bad. Um there's a paid and free version of the battle pass um for each season. I I believe it's six seasons in total over the like three-year lifespan of this game. Um it's fine. You earn COD points, you can unlock some stuff. It's nothing special, but it doesn't make it doesn't i don't get fomo and i me personally i get fomo really bad about stuff um it's a miracle the it's a good thing that i'm poor because otherwise i would be a whale for video games i would be buying so much shit. just i get i get really bad fomo but with this game i don't so i guess it's bad for them but it's good for me because i i like earning the stuff but i don't feel like i have to I can just customize my character a little bit and then play the game. Um, and I think that's good. I, I think it's a decent balance. And that's that's fine, you know? Um, Spec Ops. Spec Ops. Yeah. Jacob just gave me a big thumbs down. Okay, so it's not as bad as everyone said, but it's still pretty bad.
1: A big thumbs down with a stinky face.
0: Okay, okay, fair. So, uh, Spec Ops is one of Call of Duty's longer-standing third modes. It's where the, it's the PVE hub. Um, if you don't want to play campaign or you don't want to play multiplayer, where it's PvP, there's either going to be a zombies mode or or Spec Ops. I prefer Spec Ops because I'm not ten. Um, it was introduced in Modern Warfare Two. It's then it was basically just campaign missions ripped out of the game. With a star rating system for time, which was fun enough then.
1: Was it Ghost that had extinction? Aliens?
0: Yes, and I loved it, and everyone hated it. Yeah, I I actually liked it. It was fun, Um, and it it didn't. I didn't feel like I had to finish it. Unlike Zombies, where it's like you do eighteen hours of hunting for one switch, and then you get a thirty second cutscene. I I
1: actually. Ghost was my first Call of Duty on a real system, not the Wii, and it didn't take me a whole lot to beat Extinction, but it was still a lot of fun. So
0: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely shorter than it probably should have been, but I I could still go back and play that and have fun. Um, yes. Yeah, so Spec Ops is more up my alley. It's uh, Modern Warfare 3 um, added on a lot more stuff. There are different rating systems for like time, total kills, etc. Um, there are just the It's a mission from the campaign, but isolated. And there's also a lot of original stuff, uh, and that was really good. It disappeared for a while. Um, And this game brought it back, and it's mostly bad. Um, I'm glad it's not a Zombies mode, because every Call of Duty game had a Zombies mode for like 10 years, and I really didn't like most of them. Um, Just really oversaturated. Uh, This was temporarily time-locked to PlayStation consoles for... uh, I believe, a year. And that's bad. Mega crazy, Sussy. Not good. Um, time locking a whole mode to a console exclusive is some fucking bullshit. Um, give, the, give the PlayStation players some extra skins, but don't lock a whole mode. That's very stupid. Um, now, it's on everything, but that was a big deal, especially at launch. So there's two branches of Spec Ops. There is Survival Mode, which is horrid. It's survival mode. Every game has one now. I blame Gears of War for this. Um, usually they're fun. I don't... I I really like... Of course, I really liked ODST's version of, of it, Firefight. Um, I think Halo needs to go back to that. But... Uh, I. Not every game needs a survival mode where you just face hordes of enemies. Um, and this one's pretty bad. It fucks the gameplay entirely, whereas most of this gameplay is at least intended to kind of be vaguely tactical-ish. Even in the multiplayer where you can kind of go crazy, it still tries to nudge you in that direction. You can't play like that in survival mode because there are so many enemies. You have to run and gun and go, like, ballistic fucking no-scope 360 MLG shit, and it's miserable. Um not good very bad survival is just trash um regular spec ops is not okay it launched in a really bad state it only had one mission um with no difficulty options and no ratings and that was bad they fixed that um so i think i played two out of the four so far um they're still really hard they're not balanced at all the difficulties are not good Um, The rating systems are fine. It's just four large campaigns. So, like, a couple of missions strung together. It's like um, Battlefield did this, I think, for Battlefield 1 and 5. It's just a couple of of shorter missions strung together, but whatever.
1: I got lucky trying to get the trophy of doing all of them. And it was like the last third, I found a really good group that just speed ran the whole thing. I couldn't even finish... The first objective and the mission was over, and it was fantastic. It was my favorite memory from Spec Ops.
0: Damn. Uh, yeah, it's just, it feels incredibly lazy. Um, it, it feels like this was either a last-minute addition or they had to overhaul it right before launch, and they weren't able to test it at all. Um, it's so wildly imbalanced, it's not even funny. Um, there are some reused environments from the campaign. There are some original stuff, which is fine. Um yeah, like I said, there's there's that, or you can just play the missions themselves specifically, which I was I think like a full year after launch by the time they added that in. Um,
1: it's also just kind of Warzone light, yeah, kind it of.
0: It's it's not supposed to be, but that is what it plays like. It, it because the most of the the environments are so open and stuff, it just kind of plays like yeah, like a a battle royale map. Um, the thing that I did appreciate on it though. Um, for spec ops and I think in a better spec ops mode, this would have been a really good idea across the board is it includes some more lore tidbits. Um, my favorite thing, the little the little lore poop nuggets. Um, there are cutscenes for these. And I give multiplayers a lot of shit for including these in their live service like seasons for regular multiplayer uh, because you can't revisit them easily, for the most part. Like, after the season's over, you can't go back to those cutscenes or whatever. And they're usually used as a crutch for, like, post-launch campaign content. Um, if this was more like Spartan Ops and Halo 4, I would have been much happier. Even though Spartan Ops is pretty rough, and it's really recycled content, I still like that it's like 10% of the main campaign Just kind of tucked away in a corner. There's some more lore stuff, and this is how we're introduced to a lot of the rest of um, Task Force One Four One. Before the sequel game, is they're planted in like the live service special ops like cutscene stuff, which I think is neat. I I wish it was done better, but I I that's why I played it. Was not for the gameplay. I played it because I wanted to like get the rest of the whatever story bits were left in the game. Um. Which I guess is fine. (laughs) So total playtime across the board is probably about 40 to 50 hours for both of my times I played the game uh, for everything that I've discussed. Um, The first time would have been probably about 30. This one was around 50. It was 10-ish for the campaign, like I said earlier, and then another 10-ish for multiplayer and and um, some Spec Ops, just to get refamiliarized with it. I bought this for, I believe, $30 new on Amazon um, about a year ago, probably. I don't know what happened to my original copy. I think when I sold my last Xbox to Colin, I sold the game because he didn't want it. Um, so I had to go buy a new copy about a year ago, but st- I still think that's a good deal. Um, I under—I would have been irritated if I had bought it day one for the full sixty and had played it like in that kind of semi-working state. Um, I think originally I had picked it up like six to nine months post-launch. Um, yeah, I like this one a lot. It just has some like crippling flaws that really drag down what could have been like unanimously the best Call of Duty game. It 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 throws some mud on it, um, and it's kind of hard to shake that off. Um, So I'd say a rung below the original Modern Warfare, um, like collectively, I would rather go back to this one because I think I had more fun in the campaign because of the unique gameplay encounters and stuff, but... the tech issues and the, the, the optimization is bad and the multiplayer because of all of its issues isn't a great experience whereas modern warfare is flawless perfection but it's like not even a real game you know if that makes any sense like they're not even there the issues aren't comparable so it's hard to compare them it's, uh, maybe a toss-up. Definitely upper echelon for Call of Duty, though.
1: I'm pretty sure it's my favorite.
0: I think you should play Black Ops 2.
1: True. I've tried. And it's still very hard to get my hands on. Because it's still 60 bucks on Steam. Oof. And it's very hard to find a PlayStation 3 copy. That, that is isn't brutal. Scratch to death.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And even those are still like 10 to 20 bucks for an old copy.
1: Yeah. Jumping straight into the news, from Polygon.com, a new, very different style of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game is currently in development. An adaptation of The Last Ronin, the 2020 graphic novel that told a grim, futuristic story about the turtles. Like the comic The Last Ronin video game, adaptation will be a darker, more mature take on the typically colorful Ninja Turtles, according to Doug Rosen, Senior Vice President for Games and Emerging Media at Paramount Global, the rights holders for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. In an interview with Polygon last week, Rosen likened the upcoming third-person action role-playing game to Sony's recent God of War titles and said it will be authentic to the story of The Last Ronin Arc, which is set in a future where only one of the Turtles has survived. While other TMNT games, like last year's Shredder's Revenge, are typically about playing all four turtles and sometimes their allies Splinter, April O'Neil, and Casey Jones, the Last Ronin will be primarily a single-character game. Though Rosen posited that other characters could be playable in flashback sequences, similar to how the comic series plays out, the primary action is said to center on the only surviving turtle. This is exciting. Hopefully it's better than the comic.
0: I think this is it's weird because I want to be excited for this because it's something unique and cool, but also this is so early in development and they are so clearly just trying to like ape off of the popularity of the comic. I I think this might not even end up getting made. I I think it might end up getting canceled in about a year because they realized that like the, the comic is not going to carry this game.
1: Right. Um, it doesn't really say what kind of game it is, besides likening it to God of War, but it's like...
0: So a third-person, right, so, semi-linear drama.
1: Yeah, but that turtle, I forget which one it is, Uh, goes off and sits under a... a magical peach tree in japan and listens to the teachings of master Uguay, and learns all of the fighting styles from his brother's ghosts and then comes back and has all those fighting styles so are you going to be able to change fighting styles are there skill trees are there i have so many questions
0: this smells like it's going to be a really bad skill tree system At first I was intrigued by this, but the more I think about it, it sounds like this is a really easy way to make a shitty game.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, it's easy to say that they could use Ghost of Tsushima's uh, style where you hold a trigger and then select X triangle circle square or uh, to change forms. I think uh, Neo did the same thing actually, Um, to to change what your fighting style is, but there's so little information about this, it's impossible to get excited for it.
0: Yeah. From IGN.com, almost a year after announcing its return, the Entertainment Software Association announced that its members To its members that this year's Electronic Entertainment Expo, E3, has been cancelled and IGN can confirm. Two sources have confirmed to IGN that the organization announced the cancellation via an email sent out to its members today, a couple of weeks ago. The email said that while E3 remains a beloved event and brand, that the 2023 version simply did not garner the sustained interest necessary to execute it in a way that would showcase the size, strength, and impact of our industry. The ESA concludes the email by reiterating its commitment to advocacy work. It does not mention undertaking the show again in future years. Uh, it's dead. E3 is just dead.
1: Yeah, this has been brewing for freaking a decade now.
0: Yep. Uh, yep. They didn't officially say it's all dead, but it's 100%. I mean... It's 100%
1: the, my, all dead. The big three companies have been working on killing E3 for as long as I've been paying attention. With just by uh, running their own press conferences and doing their announcements on their own time, like when they're ready, it's like it's been a matter of time, and the time has come.
0: The time has come <clears throat> from InsiderGaming dot
1: Hey, hey, hey! It's
0: oh, I'm gu- goo- sorry. <sighs>
1: from insidergaming.com. According to a new report, Warner Brothers Games has recently canceled multiple in-development video games at its subsidiary developer, TT Games. As detailed by Nintendo Life, all one word, multiple sources have confirmed the closure of several projects at the studio. One such title was Project Marley, a Lego Disney game that would have included worlds such as the Jungle Book Pirates of the Caribbean, and Winnie the Pooh. The project, which is claimed to have been canned in 2022, saw the players shifting between an overworld and themed dungeons. While exploring, they would battle to rid the world of a purple corrupting force, a storyline that has since made its way into the successfully released Disney Dreamlight Valley by Gameloft. Another cancellation mentioned in the report was a Lego Guardians of the Galaxy game developed under the title Project Cosmos. There was also a shooter called Project Rainbow Road, which would have mashed together multiple Warner Brothers IPs. Unfortunately, it utilized the Funko license, which was then lost to 10 10 games. Finally, a mobile port of Lego Worlds, originally being developed by By playdemic has also seemingly been dropped it appears that tt games still aren't out of the woods either the report goes on to note that a lego batman game has been put on hold and that a planned story-centric mandalorian dlc for the lego skywalker saga is currently in jeopardy at the studio that one hurts The primary reason for the cancellations and postponements the report claims is due to TT Games' resources being directed toward a much larger project, giving the Skywalker Saga treatment to the Lego Harry Potter series. That is some cock and ball. I want Mandalorian DLC in Skywalker Saga.
0: I agree. Um, I think the the Project Marley one sounds really bizarre. Um, That's kind of interesting to me.
1: Um, It sounds like... Um, that game that you and my siblings used to play on the Wii—that was, in in retrospect, probably like Kingdom Hearts knockoff, just made by Disney. But you know what I'm talking about?
0: Maybe vaguely, vaguely rings a bell.
1: It had like Monsters Inc. in it, and like you you traveled to different worlds. You mean Disney Infinity? Maybe
0: there was it. Was knockoff Skylanders?
1: It wasn't. It wasn't that one then because there was no online stuff or anything and you didn't have the Amiibos but you just like played the game. Mm. I don't know.
0: I could probably dig it up if I wanted to.
1: It rings yeah. a bell though. Um, it's a locked I, memory.
0: I think the uh, the we knew about the Guardians of the Galaxy game a while ago. That rings a bell for sure. Um, it makes sense though to be fair. And also a Funko Pop game sounds like trash so I'm glad that got canned. Um, I want to get a Mandalorian-themed Jeopardy DLC for the Skywalker Saga. Just saying, that would be fun. Like, Jeopardy, the TV show, but you play as Mandalorian characters. Um, I also think it's kind of horse shit, or more like, this is a very stupid decision they shouldn't be making to try to give the Skywalker saga treatment to the Harry Potter games because they released two of those right next to each other, and then they've, they've re-released them as a box set. And the Harry Potter series is kind of in flux right now in terms of, one, popularity, and two, who the fuck even owns the rights? And also, are the movies continuing? As of today, there's an announcement that there might be a reboot TV show. Like this, is, That sounds like a horrible idea right now. Just very, very dumb.
1: Especially on the popularity point, like, I would think it's way safer to make even a a Mandalorian game that's much smaller in scale, but I would think that would sell more than repackaged Harry Potter yet again.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that's that's too long of a process. I mean, it's not like a Harry Potter game wouldn't sell. I mean, look at the news. But also, right. it just... I, I don't see that as being necessary. Like, the reason why they did the Skywalker saga was because, one, the series ended, kind of, and then, two, like, the games had been released over so many different time periods that they were all kind of a hodgepodge mess. Like... I mean, just the origin- looking
1: at, at how much... Hubla... Uh, <laughs> there was over Hogwarts Legacy that turned out to be like an actually decent game. Like why would you even try to touch that with a ten foot pole?
0: I have no idea, man. From IGN.com, The Lord of the Rings Gollum will launch will launch. <laughs> will launch on PlayStation 5, PS4, Xbox Series consoles, Xbox One and PC on May 25th with the Switch version scheduled for sometime later this year. Uh, Gullum Gollum was first announced back in 2019 for a 2021 release. The original reveal said that the game would explore events between Gollum's discovery of the ring and the beginning of the events seen in The Lord of the Rings. The game has faced several delays en route to its May release date. IGN saw the game last year, and we weren't super impressed with the hands-off presentation, saying we were left with the underwhelming impression of a simple game... That would have landed better in the era when Peter Jackson's trilogy was still in cinemas than it will in 2022. Um, I'm still gonna buy this unless it's literal hot trash. But I, I don't understand what sort of tech issues they could be having that are taking this long to work out, considering it is apparently such a simple game and it's not even like it doesn't look that visually d- difficult. Like it doesn't look like it's not like it's in Unreal Five. <laughs> I, I I don't.
1: Yeah, I I have not gotten good vibes from this game at all. I thought I the first
0: trailer was okay.
1: Low expectations for it.
0: They just need to go back to make another Shadows game because they patented the stinking Nemesis system after the second game came out, and they haven't used it since. They just patented it to be assholes. Like, go make another game. Come on. Those sold gangbusters.
1: Yeah, and also we want Sexy she again.
0: That's that's true.
1: From theverge.com, EA Sports... <laughs> Just kidding. EA debuted a new trailer for Star Wars Jedi colon Survivor on Monday that gives some hints about the game's story and a preview of some of the action and puzzles you can expect from the final release survivor the sequel to 2019's star wars jedi colon fallen order once again stars jedi cal kestis and takes place five years after the events of the previous game the dark times are closing in as cal kestis seeks out a safe haven far from the reach of the empire according to the trailer's description follow cal and his crews increasingly Desperate fight as the galaxy descends further into darkness. The game is set to launch on April 28th on Xbox Series' PS5 and PC following a short delay.
0: This continues to look TV. like it's going to be my game of the year. I have a feeling this is going to be a Dark Souls 2, not just because it's Dark Souls Light, which it is. Um, I think this is adding a lot of new gameplay elements, and I don't know if all of them are going to work 100%, but I think it'll be a very ambitious game that the people who like it are going to love it way more than the first one, but I think the general public will think it was an ambitious mess, like Dark Souls 2.
1: I don't think it's going to be as bad as Dark Souls 2. I see what you mean. They're probably going too big and too far and whatever, but... I also don't like it when a sequel game says, oops, he forgot everything from the first game. You have to earn all those skills back again. Like that's always dumb and gay. So uh, to have progression in a sequel where you have at least some of the powers from the last game, but expand on those or even just power level, have him more powerful in general. Um, compared to the first game, you have to have some sort of progression.
0: Yeah. More than the gameplay, I'm more. I'm really just interested in the story. Um, the first game had one of the best stories for Disney Star Wars, period. Um, and it was very well self-contained and also clearly was leading into a, a very cool story for s- sequels and stuff. And this looks very mysterious and spoopy and wacky and Cal Kestis literally went from yes, I'll have your daughter home to nine at, at nine to uh, your daughter calls me daddy too, um, just between the two games, and I think it's funny. They're like, ah, just make him look tired and give him a beard. From GameSpot.com. There's no dancing around it. El Paso, uh, elsewhere, the new action game from Strange Scaffold is an unabashed homage to the 2001 seminal Pulp Noir action classic, Max Payne. It's an obvious influence that writer, director, and voice actor, uh... Delivier Nelson Jr. isn't shying away from, but is hoping to elevate for a modern audience. During my hands-on preview of the game, he told me, I'm not interested in recreating Max Payne, I'm interested in seeing what Max Payne could be next. And for eclectic developer Strange Scaffold, that means a supernatural, neo-noir, bloodstained journey through a dimension-shifting motel to stop the world from being overrun by vampires. You play as James Savage, a folklore researcher and drug addict, on the hunt for his ex-girlfriend, Dracula, who has shacked up in a motel where she plans a ritual to destroy the world. That doesn't sound like your typical noir story, but all the pillars are there. A stoic and flawed protagonist spouting out fourth wall breaking quips in poetic prose, a femme fatale at the center of melodrama of a melodramatic plot of love, loss and betrayal, and lots and lots of gunshells, violence and substance abuse. We're trying to adapt these pulp sensibilities for a modern audience," Zellavier told me, with an emphasis on shifting it into neo noir. I'm a hardcore fan of the first two Max Payne games, and <laughs> not the third one. And if there's one thing uh, El Paso, Elsewhere, name nailed, it's the familiar feel of its movement and shooting. The way James Chavez, James Savage was front and center in frame, the slightly elevated camera angle, and the flow and motion of his trench coat as they straped through guns blazing. These are small details, but their subtle nuances were presented in a way that satisfied me as a Max Payne enthusiast. I sprinted through the halls of a maze-like hotel that twisted and transformed around every corner, making it feel more like something out of an evolving nightmare. I followed a a blood trail into a bathroom stall door that opened into a blood-soaked industrial kitchen. A hall transformed into a graveyard bathed in green and purple neon lighting. I was able to explore these spaces while rolling, diving, and jumping through the air in slow motion, firing off guns akimbo at werewolves and vampires to the pulsating beats of a horror hip-hop soundtrack. The controls were intuitive to me because of my intimacy with Max Payne. I knew if I hit the tab key, I'd take painkillers to restore my health, or if I right-clicked, I'd go into bullet time Dod, I'd go into a bullet time dodge through the air. It feels like strange scaffolding is playing to the beat of its own gunfire with El Paso nowhere. We'll have to wait and see how it all jams out when it releases in the fall 2023 for PC and Xbox Series consoles. And this thing sounds so fucking cool.
1: Uh, Real quick, you called it Strange Scaffolding, and it is only Strange Scaffold. But yes, it sounds awesome. It sounds like the Blood Dragon to Far Cry. Ooh. (laughs) Hot.
0: I like how they Good kind job. of diss Max Payne 3. That's that's funny.
1: I have tried Blood Dragon a couple of times, and I'm like, I get it on paper, but it doesn't work for me.
0: Yeah. it def- I, I hope that this works out well, especially just because I'm getting... I'm diving back into a lot of Remedy games this year, and I guess next year. Um, this might... If it's not like really broken this might end up on my to-do list for next season
1: didn't they announce a couple months ago that they're remaking max Payne anyway uh
0: i think yeah they they're remaking the first game i believe but that that's uh that is actually remedy
1: from pcgamer.com Electronic Arts has become the latest tech-related company to make significant cuts to its workforce as it announced today that it is laying off roughly 6% of its workforce. As usual, the layoffs come amidst what sounds like a pretty solid situation for the company. Even amidst macro uncertainty, EA is operating from a position of strength, Electronic Arts CEO Andrew Wilson said. Our business is gaining momentum as we continue to deliver high-quality games and amazing content across some of the largest, most beloved franchises in the world. Citing the continued success and growth of games including FIFA 3, Apex Legends, and The Sims, Wilson said electronics arts, Electronic Arts are leaders in a dynamic industry with new audiences, blah, 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 blah whitewashing what he's actually doing But success comes with a price and in this case that price is the jobs of several hundred people who work at ea as we drive greater focus across our portfolio we are moving away from projects that do not contribute to our strategy reviewing our real estate footprint and restructuring some of our teams wilson said These decisions are expected to impact approximately 6% of our company's workforce. This is the most difficult part, and we are working through the process with the utmost care and respect. Electronic Arts didn't say how many people were being put out of work, but the company employed approximately uh, 12,900 people as of March 31st, 2022, according to an SEC filing. Assuming... That figure hasn't changed dramatically over the intervening year. That puts the number of lost jobs at around 774. It has changed at least slightly, though, according to a Kotaku report. EA laid off more than 200 quality assurance testers in February.
0: Is this good for the playa? No, it, no. Um, EA continues to be the literal devil. Um. Yes. L. What are the odds? I, I love how that these guys were working used... on. <laughs> Go
1: ahead.
0: What are the odds that these guys were actually working on good projects and they're getting put on to the next FIFA release and another Sims game? Very high. Very high. Uh.
1: I love all the corporate speak. Of like we are still such a big name in the industry, and we make such great quality product when they are the literal meme,
0: but to be they they do still make like the most money because EA has all the games that have whales, you know, all the the sports games. They get a bajillion dude bros to buy them every year. and they're they still I was watching a movie the other night on like cable. And I saw an ad for the newest MLB, the show game, and it legitimately looked like you could have run it on a PSP. Like, the quality of the sports games are in the dumpster, and they still make billions of dollars.
1: And they laid off 200 playtesters. Oh, sorry, quality assurance testers.
0: No surprise there. Love it. From Kotaku.com. Valve is notoriously stingy with sequels, but hit multiplayer shooter Counter-Strike Global Offensive is finally getting one. Counter-Strike 2 is set to come out sometime this summer as a free update to the existing game with a limited player test that starts Wednesday. The Steam Maker is calling it the largest technical leap forward in Counter-Strike's history. What kind of radical new enhancements and game-changing upgrades will the sequel have? Valve isn't saying, at least not yet. All of the game's new features will be revealed when it officially launches this summer, but the road to Counter-Strike 2 begins today as a limited test for select CSGO players. The company wrote on the game's website. During this testing period, we'll be evaluating a subset of features to shake out any issues before the worldwide release. I think this is just a publicity stunt. And I think you fell for it because you're the one who sent this to me. And I think this is going to be a nothing burger. Because if they're not willing to lead with the new features, and they're launching it for free on top of the old existing software, this is gonna be like fucking... What's a decent example? Um,
1: I have one. If you can't pull it out of your ass.
0: There's like three that I was thinking of and then I forgot them.
1: Yeah, how about Overwatch 2?
0: That's what I was about to say. Except you do actually have to pay for Overwatch 2. But like,
1: it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's a free download whereas you had to pay for the original Overwatch.
0: That's weird. But also but that doesn't play over the existing software despite it being like identical except the player count.
1: Uh I only had to download an update. I didn't have to download a whole new game. Okay,
0: maybe I'm just really out of the loop on this then. And that didn't turn yes. out very well, did it?
1: <laughs> nope. I didn't say I was super excited for it. It was just like big flash in the pan. Wow, more s- Counter Strike content after twenty years. Even I still if it's hate just CS:GO. Like a coat of paint and like new play modes or new weapons or something like. At least it's new content to a freaking twenty-year-old game or whatever. Like, I guess I just, I new. just, I just CS:GO is like ass. the cesspool.
0: It's like literally the four chan of gaming. Like, it's a cesspool of just gambling and, like, toxic retards who sit in their mom's bed. It's, like, the worst part of the gaming, like, market.
1: That's what sucked, because I had a really good experience with Valorant when it first came out. And then I lost touch with it for a while, and I came back, like, a year later, and it had turned into that. And it was very, very upsetting, because I kind of really liked Valorant a lot. So, rip. Gaming is hard.
0: It is. It is. You know it's not hard, though?
1: Surviving the zombie apocalypse?
0: I was going to say watching the TV show that we watched. Uh, we watched oh. the first season of The Last of Us from HBO Max. It came out uh, last year and this year, I believe. It, it started premiering. No, I'm dumb. Just this year. I'm dumb. started in January. Uh, it's nine episodes, and... Uh, it was written by, uh, it was written and showrun by Craig Mazin, the showrunner and writer for Chernobyl, and, uh, Neil Druckmann, the original game's, uh, writer. Um, it's the, it's the game, but as a TV show, and this is, like, the best fucking thing ever.
1: Best video game adaptation, anyway.
0: Easy. Easy. Mm -hmm. No, no challenge there. Um
1: easy gg
0: yeah for for seriously so far i think it's still the best tv show i've seen this year but we're only just getting into quarter two but like this is it's not the the beyond any specific detail the easy thing that i i heard someone describe this as was the it's very accurate but the major real the only real shift that it actually has from the original game's um story is it makes the subtext the text and that's the biggest change it has other than some like tweaking of the plot the subtext of the original game being about global warming is now the explicit text of the tv show the side characters that we see in the game that it's implied that they were gay now we get to actually see them exist like it just takes the things that were kind of buried and it just makes them the text of the show. And that's like the biggest change that there is.
1: I caught a very small percentage of that on my own. It's difficult to word. (laughs) I knew about the, the sexuality subtext of the game and that's fine. I didn't know about all the global warming stuff, but that's common when you get a movie or TV adaptation is to have things explained to you a little bit more clearly. Yes, I would, I would think so. For sure. No, I just, I think that's kind of
0: like the key to why it's actually a good adaptation.
1: Uh, I would like to say that I just loved the texture of the show. There's so, so much detail. Uh, the first episode, I think, opens with like a Carson show style um, news interview, and it looks and sounds perfect. Um, the infected uh, at varying stages of the infection have so much. Detail that you pick up, like on your own and and subtly, just like little things, probably from like experience with zombie stories, but also just like characters would be walking through an abandoned building, and there would be an infected sitting against the wall that had like grown as a single mushroom into the wall and was growing up the wall. But it's a person that's infected with mushrooms and it's so gross and it's so cool. Uh, a couple times when uh, somewhat mature infected, would attack someone with mushrooms growing out of their mouth and the mushrooms are moving like fingers like trying to grab at the person the the victim's face like so much fantastic attention to detail at least visually that uh that's what kept, kept me no that's what had me like just keep watching instead of playing on my phone or or doing watching this show like in the background of normal life, like I was invested because there was so much to see
0: for sure. I I definitely think um, the, yeah, like the, the visual aesthetic that it cat, it it captures the game in a way that doesn't feel derivative. Um, The game can be a little early 2010s grayscale apocalypse looking, Um, It's still a very pleasing game to look at, but sometimes it's not. It it could definitely be a little bit more interesting visually. The clickers are great, but like a lot of it is just... It's what you'd expect, and that's not necessarily a negative thing, but I think they evolved the aesthetic a little bit more for the TV show, and they kind of cranked it up an additional 10%, and it looks fantastic from like an aesthetics point of view. The, the color balancing and the the types of, of props that they're, oh, it just, it looks so good. Like, it's, so it's bonkers.
1: I was handicapped because of my life situation outside of the show. I watched 99% of this on my phone. Oof. And I really hate doing that. I watched 5 minutes of the show on your TV and so much of it had this weird effect. It looked like it it looked amazing. It looked almost like 3D like there were layers in in the picture and I I don't have any more words to describe it but I was amazed. It it looked fantastic.
0: Huh, that's I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: Uh, you were there for it?
0: Was I really though? Yes, I have. I actually, said, I actually have no recollection of this.
1: Yes, scientific words and stuff. They did some black magic and shit, and I was weird. like, "Yeah, it looks like it." Oh, huh,
0: that's weird. That's I. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> the only real visual um, hiccups that I noticed to nitpick uh, is in episode two when they're going through the city of. Uh they're it's not Boston, but it's near Boston. Whatever. They're going through a big city, and I think it's the only part where the green screen is kind of rough. Other than that, the the visual quality of this show does not dip at all. The the spaces are extremely large and vibrant. They're extremely tactile. I don't know if they use the stagecraft for this at all. I think it might have just been, you know, good old-fashioned green screen, but the framing is fantastic. The Oh, it's all so co- consistent between shot to shot and scene to scene. It never it, it never feels like it's on a set at all. Like I not because that's the the bottom of the, the bar, but like this was shot post COVID, like the whole thing. I so, counter
1: that with the scene with the giraffe looked pretty jank.
0: Okay, that's true. That giraffe is real though. So I don't care. Okay. They've physically the, stuck a giraffe in a blue screen.
1: Around it looked funny.
0: Yeah, well, okay, that that's fair. But like they put a giraffe on set through a <laughs> through a blue screen. I've seen the image. It's real. What the fuck? I it it's bonkers. Um one thing that I really appreciate on this one from like a behind-the-scenes sort of angle is how many of the uh, voice actors and motion capture actors from the game series that they reused for this, um, mostly in different roles from their original characters, but they still kind of mm. kept it all in the family. Um, like, okay, so there's two different two different types of this. So we have, um, Merle Dandridge was uh, Marlene. She played Marlene in the games, uh, but the the visual difference isn't that big a deal, so they kept the same person, but um. Uh, Ashley Johnson played uh, Ellie in the games, but she's way too old for that now. Uh, so she played Ellie's mom in the TV show. Like that sort of stuff is really cool. I I really like that.
1: Uh, I didn't know any of that. Really? True story? Huh.
0: I think the thing with that that actually makes it really weird for my brain is because Ashley. So the the game model for Ash for for Ellie in both games. And even the remastered version of one does not really look like Ashley Johnson at all, um, which is fine. She did the voice and she did the motion capture, but like they chose a different facial model. Um, But she actually looks really similar to Bella Ramsey, who does not look at all like game Ellie. It's extremely weird, but I, it's just, I noticed that it was like cosmic strangeness. And I love it. I don't, I don't get it, but it's really cool.
1: I was really, really mad at myself because I'm not good at the boomer, that's the actor game, but <laughs> uh, I let out an audible no shit when I found out in episode four that Joel's waifu was played by Anna Torf, who is the star of my favoriteist TV show ever, Fringe. That's, that's and, his Fringe
0: mommy. I knew that's where you were going yes. with that.
1: Uh, But also she voiced the main character in Heavenly Sword, at the very least the shitty anime movie, but I think also the video game too. So, and a bunch of other video games, I'm pretty sure. I don't know, big voice actress. Yes. But also fringe.
0: Yes. Um, I appreciate that they didn't, uh, like, action it up. They, they really kept the encounters with the clickers down to a minimum, so they would be extremely impactful when they did happen. Um, I'm sure that w- could have potentially been like a logistics thing, whereas the costumes were really hard to make and keep in good condition and whatever, so they couldn't have an action f- scene every five minutes, but I'm so glad that they did, because the drama here is so fucking... Even though I've, I've seen this, I've played it like twice, and most of it's very, very close to how it was in the game, I'm still riveted by it.
1: Um, I have tried to play the game and have not been able to finish it because, I don't know, my brain is special and it. I want to like it a lot, but I'm not good at stealth. Uh, I, I really wanted more clicker stuff i want to keep saying zombie stuff i i want more zombie stuff but i understand why i sent uh spencer a really good um article i guess on youtube about how the violence of the show is really uh reigned in it's disciplined and it it doesn't really show a whole lot of graphic violence until the very end and it feels like a release but it's also like a commentary on the characters actions and motivations and blah 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 blah, blah. Uh, all the stuff that makes spencer hard uh it's good that's all well and good but i i wanted more violent zombie action stuff Um, I I know it's dumb I really do like this show And how it turned out Maybe it's just because I I haven't been burned out by Walking Dead I don't know
0: I I don't know Um, Which I mean yeah On that point actually um, I think This is basically The second draft of this story because the original writer had a decade to think about their choices see how people reacted and then write it again um I this is similar in a sense to a series of unfortunate events the TV show was written and I think show ran by the original writer so all of the choices were made by the original it's like it's it's a second draft um I just think that's a really interesting way of looking at it because printing the Sandman yeah it's another good example I think. That and that's another thing with Sandman is pretty much everything that was changed from the comics is either a physical, well, we can't really just show it like that because it's not a comic book, or they made it more obvious and they removed the subtext from it a little bit. So it's like it's it's actually very comparable in that sense. Um and I think that really worked towards the final decision. Um, this is a very notor like a very well-known uh the game doesn't give you a choice and the game ends on a big fuck you, you know, you now need to think about what the fuck just happened. And, you know, that's a very, it's a pretty well-known thing. Um, And I think that this, this works a little bit better because the rest of the show points more in that direction, even if you already know what's going to happen at the end and you know that they're not going to drastically change the plot. Like, I feel like it hones in a little bit more on the the not just the relationship between the two characters, but using the side characters and the other stories to point in the same direction of of trying to choose between, you know, recovering from trauma and making your own happiness and like all that sort of fun stuff. And I, I think it honestly makes the impact of walk, watching Pedro Pascal run through a hospital shooting people um more impactful than you having to do it as gameplay which says a lot because the gameplay of you having to just kill civilians is like a lot. You know, that's a that's a pretty rough segment of the game. Um it just I don't know when it was over. Um I watched this twice, by the way. Um uh, when I when it was over and, you know, the hard cuts at the end with that last little interaction on a hillside and it just it it like cold cuts to being just is like done. And now you need to think of, you need to interpret how that interaction was and think about what it's going to be like later. It just, there's so much to it. And and like some of these themes are very well tread subjects because of zombie media especially, but like I don't know, some of that stuff just doesn't get old because it's there aren't clean, easy answers for it. This especially came up when the second game came out and it really made people understand that there there are all, all of the ways to to navigate the situations make sense and are understandable. And there's definitely some that are worse than others, but like, there aren't any clean, good positions to take on it because every way you twist the situation around, someone's still not, it, it, something's still not right, you know? And I think that it, the fact that it, they they really hammered down like him being put in that type of a situation and making the choice that he did, and us wanting to see how that turns out, is very impactful.
1: This series loves to be the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's, it's true. true. It's like half of the intention of this universe it seems is to be like the same thing with the witcher is like there's no good answer (laughs) someone's going to lose out and you have to be the bad guy because you make a decision
0: yes I just really respect it for for hammering down harder instead of trying to soften it which makes me interested in how season 2 is going to turn out because one that was contentious And two, there's a lot of criticisms, I think, that can be made of the second game without actually changing any of the decisions. Just how they're presented, but it is a lot of that, like, but if you change how shittily it's presented, does it change the choice and does it make the player as alienated? Because that's what the game wanted you to do. It wanted you to be pissed off and angry at the game. So I'm curious how he's going to write that for the next season.
1: It's Interesting, too, because he's had a lot Neil Druckmann's had a lot less time to stew on Part two Versus part one, so this is true. I don't know Uh, I avoided all of the controversy about part two because I literally could not have cared less Uh, But having finally made it all the way through the story of part one I'm curious to know what happens um, the only thing that I know does happen in part two is that you, the player character kill a lot of dogs and I'm not okay with that. I am, I am curious how that's going to get
0: handled. There's a lot of, it. I'm, it doesn't make me nervous despite, i really liked part two and I have a lot of respect for it, even though it's kind of rough around the edges. Like I feel confident that it'll at least be a bit better here just with however it's presented. And I, I think it's interesting because there, we're still getting rumors that there's going to be a third game. It hasn't been confirmed whether or not it's going to happen or not. Neil Druckmann keeps being vague. So I'm curious what's going to happen if basically the third game pops up in like two years and then they pump out the third season like right after it comes out. I'm curious what that plan is from him.
1: This is my- dealt with a lot of topics it had um a lot of political commentary that didn't overstay its welcome it uh it had i don't know (laughs) i thought it was funny when i finally watched the last episode or two and i texted spencer cannibalistic covid cult classic (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, that's another. That's another thing. Actually, they made it's um, kind
1: of cheese, but at the same time, it's very intentional, very intentionally pointing fingers,
0: and I think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I dis, I definitely don't disagree with that. Um, that's the other thing. Is it does it makes um David the leader of the cult uh, more explicitly a pedo um that was implied in the game but the show just does it and it's like that's a thing that's it's just like every point of like i don't want to say necessarily ambiguity cuz i th- i think i think kind of framing it as like removing the ambiguity from the game kind of, i don't think that's entirely accurate i think <laughs> i think there's something to be said about like the fact that the, the 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 two gay guys are like, you, it's the only optional part of the game you can just not find. I feel like you could probably, re- like, you cannot pick up on that when you play the game. You can just not see that at all. Like, it's, it's played so quietly, you know, in the background, really hard for subtext, and it's like, that's kind of weird. I'm not, I don't know what that says exactly. It just seems kind of weird. So, like, when it comes to the other... Bits of subtext that they made text. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily removing ambiguity. I think it's just not being afraid to approach the subject matter, even though the game is That's more thinking, violent and like, more gory. Like, hey,
1: this has been popular for thirteen years now. We're just gonna come right and c- come right out and say, yeah, this is what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it, it's. It's definitely a, a difficult line to walk, but I like that. Um, just a little change that I, I I liked just because I liked it was uh changing uh Sam to be younger and deaf. Um, Sam and Henry are really cool characters, and I like one, that I think that's the plot line that's changed the most from the game. Um, but I think it was Neil Druckmann, because there's like the the after show where Neil Druckmann jerks himself off about how cool his writing choices are. Um and they were talking about i think it was uh it was craig mazin the other the other writer who was like what if we we change this thing and like we made sam like deaf and it just was a choice that they went with and i i don't know why but it's been popping up so much lately in stuff i've been watching where there's been a lot more deaf characters lately and they're actually showing asl on screen i It's cool. I don't know what this trend is, but I like it.
1: I could tell where that was going almost immediately. And it still like almost brought a tear from my eye when he turned and turned his head and showed that he had turned into zombie form. Like It was like uh just such a letdown, because you were hoping against hope that it wouldn't happen, just despite knowing that it would. Yep. I don't know. That's yeah. good storytelling. For, for sure. The theme song's
0: a banger. Oh, that was the other thing. Uh, the score is composed by the uh, video game's composer and someone else. So it's mostly reused themes, but I thought it was very good. And yeah, the intro slaps.
1: I definitely did not skip it at the beginning of every episode, despite getting the prompt. I was like, no, I really enjoy watching it
0: and, and listening to it. It's great. And, and you see the little mushroom stalks, they look like the two people. In the show. It's so, it I, like I love it. it. I love it. Uh, it's nice to have something good to talk about for once. In addition to watching a good thing, did you play a good thing? Maybe positive, positive things?
1: I play the game. Almost a whole game. <laughs> uh, oh man. Child of Light was released for PC, Wii U, PS3, PS4, Xbox 360, and Xbox One in april of 2014 and the adored ps vita in june of 2014. it was released onto the nintendo switch in october of 2018 it was developed and published by ubisoft
0: did you bring Uh, your ps vita with you on this trip?
1: No, I'm having an issue with my Vita where it only charges to half the battery and I need the special plastic chip to separate the glass screen from the plastic body to get in there and change a wire or something, and I don't have the plastic chip. so Damn. Otherwise, I would have. For sure. It would not have been the first time. Uh, I'm getting most of my information from Wikipedia, by the way, because that is the source of all professional journalists the story is in the late 1800s early 1900s an Austrian Duke has a kid a child named Aurora a little while later uh, Aurora's mom dies time goes by the Duke remarries and then suddenly and mysteriously Aurora dies she wakes up in a fairy tale world with a little floating blue guy igniculus. As a friend, I would say, "Picture Navi from Ocarina of Time." Hello. And yes, you need to include the sound of "Hey" every time I say "Igniculus." Hey, Igniculus. Hey, I require Igniculus. Watch out! Soon, she's given a quest: to gather the sun, moon, and stars in order to go home. A couple of things happened that I skipped over. Along the way, she finds a whole party of friends with their own quests that help the friends help her uh, throughout the story. The visuals of this game look really cool. It kind of reminds me of like a children's fairy tale book that was painted before the book was printed. Uh, the world is quite interactable with treasure with Treasure chests hidden everywhere. Uh, some that you can only reach with Igniculus. Hey! There are dark parts of levels that you can illumine with your befriended Firefly. There are illusory walls. That <laughs> I wrote that because I couldn't come up with any other uh, term for it. Just walls that you have to walk or fly through to like, progress down the pathway to find the treasure that's hidden behind it. Just like any other Metroidvania. Um, Characters are animated well the only thing I could try to complain about is how floaty Aurora's hair was at certain times but it really wasn't that bad by any means it just seems like a a problem with the engine that it was in Uh, Characters mostly talk to each other with pop text I had to click through but every once in a while they would balloon their head and Almost every time that happened, uh, they would overlap. It didn't look very good It kind of made it difficult to read some of the balloons because the timing was off and it was a little pink But really that was my only Those were my only complaints about this game for sound design, I got to be honest, I played a lot of the muted while I was on launch at work, but what I did hear sounded great. The music is fitting to the atmosphere of each level. Um, I would say that enemy sounds got a little old in certain instances that I'll talk about later, but spells or attacks sound impactful. Um, sound is good. Gameplay is the meaty part of my review. This game is a turn-based RPG. Aurora flies through the air looking for treasure and progression through the story. Uh, There are enemies patrolling everywhere. If she walks into the patrol from behind, she is surprising the patrol and gets an advancement in combat. The reverse is the patrol walks into her. There is a bar at the bottom of the screen showing how much time each character and enemy has before their next action. Which I really appreciate in a turn-based RPG. Uh, there were only two people from my party allowed to fight at the same time, while the enemies were allowed up to three at the same time. Each sort of each character has their own build, of course. Aurora has a big sword, but also light magic, which is powerful against dark. Um, Other characters are big tanks, healers, elemental magicians, etc. There are ways to buff or debuff characters to affect the time between their attacks. Igniculus also gets in on the fight in a cool way. You can have him shine his light on someone in your party to heal them, or he can shine his light on an enemy to blind them and slow them down. He can fly around the arena and collect health, mana, health and mana for the party, and also light for himself. I'm not very experienced in turn-based RPGs, or maybe I've touched a bunch and I'm just not good at them. I don't know. I like having the ability to choose uh, if I want to fight or not, as opposed to a Pokemon game where I'm trying to get from A to B and I keep getting ambushed by random patrols. The drawback is that my characters didn't get appropriately leveled like they should for the end game. I saw a complaint online that I feel is fair. Sometimes when you initiate a fight with a flying firebird expecting a fire-based fight, he would have a big rock troll and a water-based spider with him in the arena and that can all affect how the fight goes. Uh, I never got a cheap death because of it, but it can be annoying. I... (laughs) I haven't even mentioned the oculi system. There are magic rocks of different colors. You get small ones, you can combine them to make bigger versions, or different colored rocks. Uh, these obviously can affect elemental attacks, or defense, but also XP, or time between attacks defense against physical or magical attacks, etc. I liked this system except except there wasn't a an, an in-game list of recipes, even if it had showed me only what I had discovered for recipes, mixing this rock with that rock gets you a different rock. I would have been happy i'm sure uh colin would be yelling at me right now like you idiot it's basic color black magic you mix red and blue to get purple and that's what gives you magical defense it makes all the sense in the world blah blah blah, blah. but i does not remember all those recipes colin can eat my ass there are also skill trees for every character that were done really really well i chose the build for each character because I, I couldn't have all the skills. Obviously, the tank, but is defensive power that doesn't make you go back on the timeline when you hit? you are still able to attack within the time that it normally runs um, Or do you power up his offensive ability that has a chance to paralyze opponents when they're hit by the tank? It, it's still a choice within the same basic bill. In closing, because I skipped some combat, I was at level 38 by the final boss, and the internet advises at least 10 more levels, despite being on the simplest difficulty, story mode. However, I completed all 10 side quests. I found all but 4 out of 15 floating... Uh, papers there were confessions it was just extra story that didn't make sense because i didn't have pieces that puts me at 12 hours uh i got this game for five bucks on my switch and i'm quite happy with my purchase i'm not sure if i would replay it anytime soon but i'm probably going to hunt down a youtube video or two to explain the story to me because i still have a couple questions for example level Eight or nine out of ten, Aurora very clearly becomes a young woman. But she was like six or eight when she died. And That's she's weird. in a fairy tale world. So I think something else is happening, but I don't understand what. Wacky. It was a very odd change. So I don't know i'm still confused about the story this definitely seems like something up your alley
0: i it's been on my to-do list for quite a while i just haven't gotten to it i might even own a digital copy for computer or something i i don't know
1: what kills me is that there was a game i had on my vita that i thought was this game but definitely wasn't and now i don't know what that game was (laughs) weird i am very special Five bucks is definitely a steal, though. Yes, thank you.
0: Wicked cool. You know what else is wicked cool? I was going to say, you know who else is special. Oh, our patrons. Over (laughs) at patreon.com forward slash Dime Comic Bros Network. They get early access to all of our podcast episodes, as well as exclusive access to Dime Comic Bros and Dime Gaming Bros Happy Hour, which is our additional exclusive segment to Patreon, where we just shoot the shit, have a drink, talk about whatever random stuff pops up, as well as a whole bunch of other cool tiers. So a thank you to Caitlin and Jeff Lawrence. Also a big thank you to our partners over at Jetpack Comics and Games in downtown Rochester, New Hampshire. Uh, Over at the Megastore, they have all sorts of cool gaming and comic-related stuff. Uh, You can buy all sorts of different comics and graphic novels there. They have indie comics, uh, Dark Horse, Image, The Big Two, all sorts of crazy stuff over there. They also have uh, yeah, board games, tabletop games, RPGs, Pokemon cards, magic cards, all of the fun nerd stuff you could ever imagine. They have it, and if they don't have it, they can get it for you. Uh, If you do end up stopping by, just let them know that we sent you. It would be greatly appreciated. Uh, I have no... Oh, wait. Next month, the two of us are going to be discussing the uh, Super Mario Bros. movie, um, and I'm pretty confident I'm going to be reviewing Control from uh, Remedy Games. I have no clue what Jacob's doing. So, Make sure to uh,
1: tune in for that episode next month. Thank you for listening. That seagull's really making some noise. Any a seagull? <laughs> That's a fighter jet, and I'm sure he's got a buddy behind him. The day after my birthday. Man, I hate this program. At some point
0: in the near future, we'll probably (laughs) look into other options. I refuse to get the bourgeois version of Zoom. We will continue using the proletariat version of Zoom until the day I die, or we change programs, but no, there will be no bourgeois Zoom.
1: Please excuse my American propaganda.
0: I don't know, man. I think you are currently committing a war crime. Which, to be fair, the Master Chief did Do in Halo the series, he did commit a war crime by sleeping with the enemy. That is a he he He, broke the Geneva Conventions.
1: He fucked a heretic. (laughs) It is unacceptable.